<laughs> I, I don't know about you, it's probably, it might just be me, but I feel like losing that hour is losing so much more. Like, I wake up and I'm like, how could you do this to me, daylight savings? I'm like, I feel like I lost five hours last night, but, but I'm good. I had Starbucks, so, and I'm not a coffee drinker, so I'm good. Okay, um, well, yeah, welcome to church. Um, glad you're here. Glad all of you online could join us as well. Uh, we've been going through a series called Letters from Prison uh, for a couple months now. I think we started in the fall, and um, it's where we're going through the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was under arrest in Rome. So it's been really good. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, um, all extremely good epistles. We're still in the book of Ephesians because we've been taking our time because uh, we, we, we started there because it comes first in the um, scripture order. And also just we've been taking our time because it's such a good book. Uh, if you haven't gone through it personally, like in your devotions or your personal reading, Highly encourage it because it is, is an unreal book that can really help you in your faith, in your walk with the Lord. But So yeah, we've been taking our time to unpack uh, everything that's in this book. It's been awesome. And in case you're like, I really want to go through Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Um, those are also good books. I totally agree. We'll get there, Lord willing. So just sit tight. But um, So yeah, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 today. That's where we're picking it up. And a large focus in this part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is about general submissiveness in relationships. You know, um, There's a place for us as Christians to submit to those uh, who are in authority over our lives. And this can take various forms. Uh, we look at, in this part of Ephesians, we see three examples of this general submissiveness in relationships. Uh, past couple weeks, we've been looking at wives and husbands uh, in the last part of chapter 5. Today, we're going to look at children and parents, and then um, I believe next week, we'll, we'll cover servants and masters. And in each of those examples, we see that there's um, a submissive member, and then there's an authoritative member. And Paul always addresses the submissive member first. He, he reaches out and, and offers advice and instruction to the submissive member on... Um, you know, obedience and submission before going to instructing the authoritative member and making clear that there is a responsibility that comes with that authority. Um, because we are born again in Christ, submission to the various authoritative roles in our lives is proper conduct. There's a couple verses in the last chapter of Ephesians. Sorry, I totally, you know when you're, like, you're in mid-thought, like I was just in mid-sentence there, but I totally forgot to explain why I'm up here instead of our pastor. <laughs> so let me just put a pause. Uh, our pastor, Pastor Brent, is up in Salmon Arm right now. He's visiting uh, some friends from, from this church who have moved up there a couple years ago. The Acasio family and the Gerard family, they're living in Salmon Arm. And uh, a couple months ago, um, maybe, I don't think it's been a year yet since it might have been. I'm kind of fuzzy. But anyways, they started a Bible study uh, together and have invited families to join them and they've been meeting for months now and uh, it's developing into like a church plant so it's kind of cool to see and uh, we want to support them and keep them in prayer because they're they're following what they feel the Lord is leading up there in Salmon Arms so if you think of them keep them in prayer my my dad and my mom are both up there this weekend just to encourage bless and share the word with them so that's why I'm up here you know talking about children obeying their parents and that's that's what I'm doing so I'm obeying yeah my humble brag I'm already demonstrating 
how I am obeying. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Um, so in this last chapter, um, sorry, in the last chapter of Ephesians, chapter 5, Paul kind of explains for us why or, and why submission is important to him and how we are to submit. And we see that in um, chapter 5, verse 21. We see that submission is godly. If you look, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then Paul also says in verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, telling us that submission happens when we are filled with the Spirit. So one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another, and you cannot truly submit to one another unless you are first filled with the Spirit. Um, so this relationship of submission is what we're looking at today uh, between children and parents, the makeup of the family institution. And it's very obvious that if you look, that when you look at the world today, there are major problems with mod the modern-day family, right? Um, there's, there's, a, there's an array of issues that have, have brought to this destruction of the family today that um, you may or may not be aware of, but I think it is pretty plain and obvious to see. Today's society has abandoned God's plan for the family, and it has had disastrous effects. And there are many factors that can be contributed to this destruction of the family. I'll name a couple. Um, the, the normalization of sexual fornication Fornication, I feel, has, has damaged the family. That's even entered the home in many households. Um, the acts, acting out in this sexual fornication, um, bringing that corruption into your home is super damaging to the family. How about the saturation of pornography in the home? How many fathers and family members struggle with, with pornography? And if that enters in the home, that can break your family apart. How about irresponsible men and women who fail at leadership? not understanding that as a parent, you have a role of leadership in your home. And when you don't take that seriously and fail, that could bring destruction for a family. Another huge one, in my opinion, is singleness. Single parenthood has spiked and, and continues to be in, in incline now. More than half the families, more than half of all households are... Um, Sorry, less, less than half of all households have a married couple in them. So singleness is on the rise in the household. And parents, I mean, children being raised by single parents um, is becoming more and more of a thing. And, and listen, God intended man and wife to be um, a unit together to raise their children collectively. And to, for a child to miss out on that can have repercussions in the future as well. John Stott, to quote what he said, he said, Certainly a healthy society is inconceivable without a strong family life. I think that to be true. Um, children, sorry. In this section, Paul calls for harmony in the home. And that's what we're going to look at. That's the main focus of, of what we're looking at in today's section. We see some listed duties here in Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 4. We see a child's duty, and that is to give parents obedience and honor. And then we see a parent's duty, and that is to give children discipline and instruction in the Lord. So before we get to reading this, this, this passage here, why don't we, we open up a prayer. So if you would join me in prayer. 
Lord, I just want to lift up this time in your word, and I thank you for the opportunity where we can come and, 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 and just be present, and be present with you and be in your word together as we go through it. I pray that you would lead us and fill us with your spirit to better understand the truths from your word, God. Um, so I pray that you would just speak to each and every one of us this morning. Amen. So let's read the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So the word children used here is the Greek word technon, and that refers to anyone who lives under their parents' roof. So if you live under your parents' roof, you are subject to your parents' authority. That's the context of what this is talking about here. Paul is addressing children who live under their parents' roof, not just not just little kids who are going to elementary school or running around or whatever. It's, it's, it, could be, it could be somebody my age. Um, I'm not living under my parents' roof right now, but I actually am soon to be again, so this is going to become a bit more real for me. Um, but um, it, could be, it could be a younger adult. It could be, even if you're 30 years old and you're living with your parent, you're subject to their authority. Um, simple enough. The Greek word uh, for obey there is hupakau. <laughs> which implies obedience as if your life depended on it. And the context of when this word would often be used describes a soldier obeying the orders of his commanding officer. So, you know, like when you're in a battle situation, a war situation, your officer is giving you orders and commands, and you are, you are objected to um, strictly follow them. Otherwise, you could end up dead on the battlefield. Those orders are meant to... Um, to give you the plan of action, and then you, you go out and fulfill them. And, and, but if you mess up, if you don't follow those orders strictly, if you're willy-nilly, that could cost you your life on the battlefield. That's kind of the context of how, um, how Paul's presenting that. He's saying, obey your parents as if your life depended on it. This is a, a serious thing that children need to take into consideration. Um, in, this, in these three verses, Paul gives us four reasons why children should obey their parents. And the first one is this, they are Christians. Simple enough, because they are Christians, they should obey their parents. It says in verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. We'll talk about what that means. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, which is located on the west coast of Turkey. And um, it's a pretty big city. It's still there to this day. It's, a, it's an ancient um, site. It's an ancient city site. So you can visit it to this day and see the different... Um, has anyone ever been to Ephesus before? Oh, nice, nice, sick, cool, a few of us, cool. Uh, it's cool. You can see, like, the, the, the library of Ephesus, and you can see, like, this big amphitheater and, um, where, like, the foundation of where the temple, uh, a massive temple of uh, Diana, I believe, was there. And that was one of the ancient wonders of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So uh, it's a pretty cool place to visit. And at the time when Paul's writing it, it was, it was likely to be its prime when the city was really bustling. It was a, it was a, it was a trading hub. So it was well-traveled. A ton of people from around the world would, would cross through Ephesus on their travels. So this is a big city. And it's likely that when Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church, to the Christians there, that they would gather when they received the letter. They would all gather together as the body of Christ, and they would have the church leaders read off the letter and expound upon it 
as well, for everybody to hear and everybody to learn from the words that Paul wrote through the leading and direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's an amazing thing that they would have experienced. And I believe that it's safe to say that children would have also been present at this time when this letter was being read and expounded upon. Instead of the parents only being there and then the parents going back and um, kind of giving their version of what Paul had to say to their children, I think that the children could listen to the exact words that Paul was writing to them. Um, so yeah, Paul is directly telling children to obey their parents. And the first reason he gives is because since they are Christians and the command to obey all authority is clear, ultimately they are being obedient to the Lord by obeying their parents. Simple obedience is a direct result of being filled with the Spirit, as we looked at in Ephesians 5, verse 18. And with that, everything we should Everything we do should be done in the Lord. And that's true for all Christians, right? Everything that we do in life should be to the glory of God. It should be done to um, the Lord. And look at Colossians chapter 3 with me. In verse 17 it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So children are supposed to obey their parents in the Lord, but simultaneously parents are to instruct their children in the Lord as well. Children must obey their parents as long as their parents maintain their instruction in the Lord. And this brings up the, the topic of, well, when is it, when is it um, valid for a child to no longer obey their parents? And that's simple enough to say when the parent um, is no longer instructing their children in the Lord and following the will of God. It's become the parents' will, and their parents' will doesn't line up with God's will. How do we know God's will? By knowing God's word. Simple as that. Um, and we've been kind of talking about this subject for a couple months here and there because of you know our situation that we've been experiencing. But um, but that's as it is with all authority, right? Is we are supposed to be subject to those authorities, because all authority is placed by God. We are supposed to submit to authority. We are supposed to be obedient to authority. And that should always be our norm. Obedience should always be the norm, but disobedience a rare exception. And there comes times when those authoritative figures might command us to do something that we know is clearly um, against our Christian morals and against what God has clearly laid out for us to do. And where it comes to the point where it's like this or that. I can either be obedient to this authority or I can be obedient to God. You're going to choose God, right? Because you don't want to compromise on your faith. In Acts it says we should we rather listen to God rather than men. we rather serve God rather than men. And that's where we got to go out. And let me tell you this, that's, that's not a light topic. If you, if you are considering to um, act out in disobedience against an authoritative figure for the sake of acting out in obedience for God, you better have your theology down pat to back it up scripturally because um, that's, that's not something to be taken lightly. I'll say that. But if a parent ever tells his Christian child, you, can, you can't be a Christian in this household, that would be an example where disobedience to your parent is um, acceptable under obedience to God for the sake of obedience to God. So that's the first reason why children should obey their parents is because they are Christians. 
The second reason is obedience is right. And it says there in the second part of verse 1, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Clear enough right there. Um, Obedience is clearly a righteous act. And no matter the example of authority in which you are being obedient to, you express your faith through your obedience. Right? By simply being obedient in our lives, we're, we're showing the world our faith. You know, we're, it's an expression of our faith by being obedient. And throughout the Bible, we are told um, from time and time again to pursue this righteousness. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Proverbs 15.9 says, The lifestyle of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but he loves those who ardently pursue righteousness. And a famous verse, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The Bible tells us that we need to be those that desire righteousness enough to pursue it in our own lives. As Christians, we, should want, we want to be those who actively put off unrighteousness in order to pursue righteousness in its stead. And the act of obedience is a simple but a major part of this by obeying um, the commands of Scripture and what God tells us to do and what God has clearly laid out. We're pursuing that righteousness for ourselves. The next reason we see is this. Obedience is commanded. It says there in verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. So Paul uses the fifth of the Ten Commandments to support that a child's obedience to their parents is an essential part of God's kingdom. He quotes Exodus 20, verse 12, which is later reiterated in Deuteronomy 5, 16. And with that, he says, there is much practical reason for this command, right? Like, we know that this is the fifth commandment given to uh, Moses originally from God on Mount Sinai, on the stone tablets, which he can um, explain and, and instruct to the nation of Israel that they may do exactly that, pursue righteousness for the, for the sake of God, for the sake of being a set-apart uh, people from the rest of the world. And if that's not reason enough to follow it simply because it's God-given, it's a God-given command, you know, that should be reason enough. Um, but if you want a little extra... Think about the practical reason for this command as well. There is a practical reason. Um, Children are brought into the world by their parents. They're raised under their parents' roof and taught the lessons of life from their parents. It is logical to conclude that young children are subject to their parents simply because they don't know any better. And I know this to be true. Myself, personally, as a kid, I was a dumb child. And I mean that. Um, a little memory I have of my childhood is when I was about seven or eight, and me and my younger brother, Jaden, he's about three years younger than me, we were playing in our driveway, and we were sharing a bike that we both liked to ride around in our driveway. And, um, you know, we were taking turns. We only had one bike, so we were taking turns on it, and Jaden was just, just hogging it. And I was like, give it back. It's my turn. Like, get off the bike. Let me have my turn. And he's like, no. And so I'm like, come on, give it, get off the bike. I, I, I want my turn. My, you've been on there for like an hour, it seems like. Like, let me have it. And he's like, no, it's my turn. So then I pushed him off the bike, right on the ground, right on the pavement. And, 
And yeah, I hurt him pretty bad. He scraped his elbows and his hands, just started screaming, right? And then meanwhile, I'm just like, that's what you get. And I pick up the bike and I start riding circles around him. And he's just crying. So my mom runs out and she's like, what happened? And then he's like, Cole pushed me off the bike. So I, and then she, and then she turned to me and she screamed at me. She's, she said, get lost. Because she was just so furious, right? She's like, my oldest son pushed down my little baby. And, and she told me to get lost, and I got really hurt by that. And I was like, oh, my mom doesn't want me anymore. So I took it literally, because I'm a dumb little child. And I start, I start walking away from home, and I didn't know where I was going to go. So I walked to the end of the street, and my mom like, runs after me when she figures out, hey, where's Cole? He's gone. She runs after me, and she's like, where are you going? I was like, well, you told me to get lost, so I'm, I'm, I'm moving away, I guess. And my mom... My mom took me back home, and she explained to me, like, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry I lost my temper, but you can't do that to your brother, right? We're a family. And she is an example for me because she really explained to me how to be a parent, right? And really, really showed that well, that, like, she corrected me for my, <laughs> my rebellion and, right, you know, pushing my brother and, and acting out in, in my, my rage. And, but she explained to me and, and set me back on track with how, you know, how to be a better brother, and, and, and that was a good example for me. Uh, it stuck with me here 20 years later, so. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that's an example for me, but. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I learned my lesson there, and my mom and my, my dad also um, really taught me how that was wrong, and um, we had a good talk and a good day. We had watched a movie and made cookies or something. It was nice. So it turned into a nice day. But yeah, I got in trouble for sure. It was nice. Um, and I also think of the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus and his parents were in Jerusalem for Passover. And he was likely around the age of 12 at the time. Um, so in the yeah, according to Jews, like Passover was one of the most sacred feasts that they would partake of. And it involved a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the city of Jerusalem, to celebrate the, the, the festival and the feast um, together. So Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem, and they celebrated Passover. And then when it was time for them to head back to Nazareth, to their home, um, they started to head back. And um, they believed that Jesus was with them because they, they had a bunch of family members and other people that were heading in the same direction that they thought Jesus was with. And they traveled about a day's journey until they realized, actually, Jesus is not with us. Where's our son? Where's Jesus? So they go back to Jerusalem, and they search for Jesus for three days until they finally find him. Where was he? He was sitting in the temple with the teachers, with these priests and the Pharisees, and they're, and, and they're asking him questions, and he's asking them questions. And it says that, um, all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So, I mean, we know clearly, even at the age of 12, there's something different about Jesus. There's something special about Jesus, um, like something um, not totally like, like every other person, right? There's, there's something divine here. Um, but when Mary and Joseph found him, Mary goes up to Jesus and says, why did you, oh, sorry, she says, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 
and, and that's it. That's, that's, the, that's the little dialogue. But we know that, um, listen, we know that Jesus could have stayed there, right? Like he could have stayed in Jerusalem. He could have chosen to stay in the temple um, and, and let his parents go back to Nazareth. He obviously didn't have to be subject to his earthly parents because he knew more than them, right? He knew more than them. He was wiser than them. He's God the Son, God incarnate, walking on earth among mankind. But what happened? We know that he chose to return to Nazareth with them and be subject to his earthly parents. Jesus knew to fulfill the fifth commandment, he had to honor his father and mother by living under their authority, you know, abandoning them and ditching them so he can live a life in Jerusalem so that they can go back to be in Nazareth wouldn't be very honoring to his father and mother. So um, him in his perfect um, perfection, he chose to fulfill that and to, to live the rest of his childhood under his parents, subject to their authority. And something else about this commandment, honoring your father and mother, is that this is a lifelong commandment. This isn't just for children or, or, or anybody living under their, the, their parents in their household. It's a lifelong commandment, even when you, you move out and you start your own family as well. Because um, a parent cares for a child when they are young, but a child is to care for their parent when they are old. It's kind of like a reversal effect, right? Your parents do you the favor in raising you as a child, but then you get to return the favor to them by caring for them in their senior years, right? And I think that's the way that God wants, wants it to work, especially in the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's to me, is a pretty clear verse. <laughs> God desires us to care for those of our own household and provide for our own. And if we don't, we're not taking the faith seriously. Um, so that's a, that's a way that we need to honor our father and mother is by caring for them, doing what we can, even beyond our childhood years. We are obligated to obey our parents as long as we live with them, but we are to honor them always. So this brings us to our fourth uh, reason why children should obey their parents, and that is obedience brings a blessing. So it says... At the end of um, verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. Now, what is that promise? It's in verse 3. It says that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This is the first commandment with a promise to those who fulfill it, who follow it. It says there is a personal benefit that comes to us when we obey this commandment. And personal benefits of a child's obedience can be this. It's in the best interest for children by it may be well with you. And it promotes a full life. It says you may live long on the earth. So does this mean, when it says you may live long on the earth, does this mean that your life will literally be prolonged? And it, it very well could. You might be able to extend your years if you fulfill this commandment. Um, but also to keep in mind the many Christians who, um, you know, to us, probably lived very righteous lives and probably did very well in keeping this commandment, but also died at a very young age, right? Um, so what else could it mean? We know that 
um, death is a variable. It's, uh, we don't know when people are going to die, but we know that it's sure that everybody will die. Nobody knows when for sure. So with that, I do believe that life is not only measured by quantity of time, but by quality of experience also. So very well could be talking about that as well, that um, our days that you may live long on the earth could be mentioning your life will um, increase in quality instead of just quantity. But it could be both. I'm not ruling out quantity. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Warren Wearsby says this, God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. That's a nice quote. It is beneficial for parents, sorry, for children to be obedient to their parents. And now to flip the script, it is beneficial for parents to discipline and instruct their child. That's where we move on to the fourth verse, which talks about the parent's duty. We looked at the child's duty, and that is to um, obey their parents. And now we look at a parent's duty, which is to instruct and discipline their child. Um, so let's look at verse 4. It says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So instruction to children is now balanced with advice to fathers. And the word father is the Greek word pater, and it refers to the masculine head of a home. Um, so notice off this text, it's ba- it's, Paul mentions fathers specifically. But Paul's advice in this verse is given to both parents, but is directed specifically to the father. Just because there's some, there's some difference of roles there. And, and some of these things with um, the theme of discipline and, and, and training and, and, um, and teaching your child are, are oftentimes roles that the father is to fulfill in, in bringing their child up. But don't get me wrong, this is a verse that both parents can gain wisdom and instruction from because um, what is marriage? It's when two become one flesh. You're a team. You're a partnership. You're coming together to raise your children together and keep each other accountable as, as a couple as well. So that's an important aspect to look at. Just to add some context, the role of a father during Roman times had some horrific differences to fatherhood today and you know we love we love the fathers today you know we have a day to celebrate fathers it's it's nice their fathers are cool um and you may be familiar with the modern day version of the father you know the the image of the lovable middle-aged man cracking awful jokes making everybody cringe from time to time you know we love it it's all good today's dads are often hardworking and handy around the house Hobbies might include tinkering around with engines, if that's what you're into. Aspiring to be a grill master, smoking some meats, or playing rounds of golf every weekend, trying to get better at your game, but seemingly never being able to improve, you know? That's probably just me. I would love to get better at golf, but I suck, and I can't seem to do it. Uh, But fathers during the time when Paul wrote this had absolute authority over the home. William Barclay described their role well. 
He said a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. Not very pleasant. Not very godly. At this time when man's wife gave birth, they would bring the child to him and set it down at his feet. If the father picked the baby up, it was a sign of acceptance, that he was accepting his child to raise it as his own. But if the father left the child, it was often killed or sold in the markets, likely into a lifetime of slavery. This isn't the way God intended. This isn't what God desires for the family unit and fatherhood. The significant thing about what Paul is describing here, because this, this is the cultural norm that the recipients of this letter to the Ephesians are familiar with. Paul is trying to, in giving verse 4 here, he's trying to flip that norm. He's trying to explain that um, he's giving advice to Christian fathers in this verse that totally reverses this norm. Instead of fathers beating down their children and ruling their household with an iron fist, Paul focuses on the obligation of fathers to rule lovingly and to raise up their children in the Lord. You know, one of the things he, he clearly lays out here is that fatherhood is not the exercise but the restraint of authority. And that's what Paul urges on his parents. It's not about the exercise but the restraint of authority sometimes. And with that authority, keep in mind there is, there is much responsibility Fathers have a huge responsibility um, to fulfill the role that God has laid out for them. There is much responsibility. Fathers, God has entrusted you with a great responsibility by blessing you with children. He's given you those children that are in your families. He's, he's, he's entrusted you with the role to, to lead them and to raise them in the way that is glorifying to him. Fathers have the responsibility to use their power wisely and to improve the lives of those under their care. John Corson said, Wise is the father who understands that his children are not to be molded, but to be unfolded. And I think that's a cool way to look at fatherhood, is God has created um, your children, and he's given you the right to raise your child. But with your children, God has instilled certain attributes and certain gifts and certain qualities that you may not have control over. And that might be a tough thing for fathers to um, let up. And I like the thing about that, that, that quote is John Corson says, you're supposed to unfold the qualities of your children, not mold them into what you want them to be. You know, and many, many fathers want to do that and they, they they put, this, um, they put this unattainable pressure on their children that, that they can't meet because it's not who they are. And listen, it's not your job to create your child into what you want them to be. God has already created them to be what he wants them to be. You're not the creator God is. Your job is, as a father is to um, allow them to grow into what God desires them to be in their lives. If we can look again at Luke chapter 2, where Jesus was found in the temple and went back to Nazareth with his parents, I wanted to look at the result 
that we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. The result that we see happen when Jesus was subject to his parents. And it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And in this verse, this is a cool lesson that we can, we can gain from, from how Jesus grew from being um, subject to his parents. Uh, wisdom, stature, favor with God, and men. And this is four ways that children are to grow as well. And fathers, this is your job to lead them in this way. We got wisdom, that's the mental capacity. We got stature, which is the physical capacity. We got favor with men, and that's the social capacity. And favor with God, which is the spiritual capacity. And it's the father's role to lead their children, to raise their children, to meet these different capacities so that they can grow into a well-rounded individual. And the amazing thing about, about the way that this is set up is once, once you give your, your child that experience where they're growing into all of those, those areas in life, then they can be better used by God to hopefully do the same in their life when they become fathers by setting the example that you have the ability to now in their life, um, you can set up for them how they, um, you can set up the standard for them how they ought to parent when it comes time for them to. So that's a cool way how, how that can work. It's your responsibility, fathers, to raise your children in the eyes of the Lord. I like what um, John Stott says. The overarching theme of Ephesians is that through Christ's reconciling work, there is now one multinational, multicultural family of God. So human fathers are to care for their families as God the Father cares for his. That's the Father's role. In this verse, chapter 6, verse 4, we do see four instructions to parents. The first one is this, do not provoke. It says, and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. So parents provoke their children to wrath in a number of ways. I kind of went over one way by um, setting up standards for your children that trying to shape them into what you want them to be. I feel like that's one of the ways that can provoke them to wrath. But there's some other ways too. Saying one thing and doing another. Always blaming and never praising. Inconsistent or unfair discipline. Showing favoritism in the home. Not keeping promises. Unfair expectations, not taking interests in things that are important to the child. And I'm sure that many more things could be added to that list, if, if you can think of some yourself. It's this hypocritical parenting that discourages the child. And Paul is offering advice to parents to help prevent that. In order to be sensitive to the needs and problems of their children, Christian parents need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is essential in your fatherhood. In, in, by being a parent, you need to rely on the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 18, that's what we see. Um, rely on the filling of the Holy Spirit so that you can parent in the best way possible. Too many people deal with problems and issues well into their adulthood that stem from the way that they were brought up. An unsympathetic home can cause major issues in a child's life moving forward. So don't provoke your, your children to wrath. Be there for them. Be, 
be long-suffering with them, um, be loving for them or to them. This, the second instruction Paul gives to parents is this. They must nurture. You see there, uh, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Bring them up. This is talking about nurturing, you know. When you're nurturing your, your garden, you're your, your watering, you're taking care of, you're, you're, making, you're making sure that your plants have the best environment so that they can grow effectively, in a sense. That's, that's what nurturing is all about. That's what you want to do with your kids. Parents must nurture their children physically by bringing them up with food, shelter, clothing, and other essentials, but that is simply not enough. Parents must also nurture their children spiritually by teaching them about Jesus. Parents, I hope that in your home you have the ability to talk to your children about Jesus and that they have the confidence and, and they know that they have the comfortability to come up to you to ask questions about Jesus and of the Lord and, and different things. That's, that's the kind of environment that you want to set up to nurture your child. The third instruction to parents is this. They must discipline. It says, um, but bring them up in the training. Bring them up in training. That word training is talking about this, um, this discipline that you provide, that you, you offer your kids. And I know in today's world, discipline kind of has, a, like the topic of disciplining your child almost has like a bad rap for, for people where they go, well, I don't want to discipline my child. It just seems cruel. Um, you know, but I do think, though, there is there is a place in Scripture for, for discipline. I think that is a beneficial thing as parents. And obviously, don't discipline cruelly. That's kind of going against, that's kind of provoking your children to wrath, in, in my opinion. But um, if you're the parent that feels, yeah, we don't do the discipline thing. We want our child to grow into what they want to be, then that's okay. I'm not saying that. But I do feel that there is place in Scripture that, that, um, that shows that there is a place for discipline as a parent. And listen to this. Discipline is an example of love, and it can be a form of love as well. Proverbs 3, 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he had... Um, Something good to say about discipline as well. He said, The opposite of wrong discipline is not the absence of discipline, but, the, but right discipline, true discipline. The opposite of no discipline at all is not cruelty. It is balanced discipline. It is controlled discipline. So I think that's good that, that if you're, there's a, there is a way that you can discipline your children in the wrong way. And we don't want any part of that. We want to discipline our children in the right way. So may we do that um, as you're led in the Holy Spirit as well. If we are not disciplined, we surely cannot discipline others. And that's a good point for, for parents as well. If you yourself aren't being disciplined, if you're not disciplining yourself, then how do you expect to discipline your, your children effectively? You first need to check yourself you know, so that you don't act out this and, and, and bring out this discipline in a hypocritical way. You yourself should be disciplined before you can properly um, deliver that discipline as well. The fourth instruction to parents 
is this, they must instruct and encourage. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So parents must instruct and encourage. It is at home where the Christian child should learn the wonders of God's word, the beauty of the gospel, and the essentials of the Christian faith. Home should be a place where a child can learn about the Lord and the Christian life through careful instruction from their parents. A child should be able to ask questions without judgment, and a parent should be responsible to guide their children to the truth. Susanna Wesley, um, who raised 17 of her children in the late 1600s, uh, yeah, insane, 17, mother of 17. Uh, two of her children, John and Charles Wesley, are very notable men of the faith, familiar names in the church today. You probably have heard of them, maybe. Um, Susanna Wesley is often nicknamed the, the mother of Methodism. Um, but she said this about parenting. Keep in mind, she raised 17 children, so... It's probably wise in parenting. <laughs> she said, The parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges it does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that in him uh, lies to damn his child's soul and body forever. A little harsh, but I think there's some real truth in that. It's It's... There's, there's, a, there's a strong importance to uh, raise your children right in the eyes of the Lord and to, uh, to bring correction, to bring instruction, to bring the discipline, um, but also to bring that encouragement, to encourage them in the things that are right and instruct them on the things that uh, maybe they don't know too well and are doing incorrectly or wrong. Um, that's your job as a parent. Parents must point their children to Christ. That's your job. That's your mission. In everything you do, prove to your children that they need Jesus. And I'll end on this. Dads, you are to talk to your kids all the time about the word of God. You're parenting to train them how to live on earth successfully and in heaven eternally. You simply need to use opportunities that arise naturally to help them to grow spiritually. No matter what else you may or may not do, you can and must pray. So with that, why don't we go before the Lord and end and on prayer. And then we'll have a, a song of worship that we can end off on. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word, God. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to be those that um, desire to be obedient to what your word has laid out for our lives, God. Whether we're children, help us to obey our parents and to honor and respect them, God. And whether we're parents, God, help us to Help us to lead as parents and to teach our children um, to live for you, God, um, and to love you and to, and, to, and to offer their lives for you and how important that is for us as believers. God, I pray that you would just, um, you would just help us, help every parent in this room to be a better parent and to, and to figure out what areas of their parenting they might need to work on and, and reveal that to them. Convict them of, of that, God, and just give them the strength and the wisdom to parent well, just as you would, Lord. Um, so I pray that you would just do that work in each of our hearts, God, and take this word that, that we've gone through today um, and just help us to continue to contemplate it, think about it, and to reflect on ourselves as well, Lord. 
So I pray that we would just continue to glorify you in our lives and everything we do, may it be for, for your name, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.